You're listening to episode 203 of the Mad Chatters podcast, September 12th, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> <laughs> Back to another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name's Derek, and I'm joined today by my co-host Jeremy. <coughs> and joining the discussion this week is special guest. You've heard him here before. It's Jeff Baru. I am not fast. <laughs> hey, welcome, Jeff. Thank you. So, Jeffrey, tell us what you've been up to, and more importantly, tell us if you're going to dress up as a Disney character for Halloween this year. Okay, so I'm actually planning a very large, or at least for me, large uh, multi-family gathering in uh, Walt Disney World this November. So I unfortunately will be missing uh, all the Halloween stuff. So I don't think I'm actually going to dress up as a Disney character for Halloween. I think I'm actually going to go as Paddington. So uh, I'm very excited about that. That's a good one. That's good. Ooh, the the, the arch enemy of Winnie the Pooh. That's right. Two British bears. <laughs> now you'll be in Walt Disney World in November, so that means you'll be there just in time for them to put up the Valentine's Day decorations. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's that, that's that creep ever forward, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, when was the last time you were there for Christmas stuff? Just last year? Uh, no, I think it was about two or three years ago now i did uh, the last time i was there i actually did a whole day where i i park up to all four parks but the the i guess more impressive part of that story is that i flew down that morning and then flew back to philadelphia that night so it was quite a long day but it was fun whoa 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 whoa, whoa. so you did all four parks and two flights in a matter of 24 hours well they about yeah probably about like 18 hours wow and what did you do besides right, sit right. on a bus? <laughs> uh, well, I had my rental car, so I, I, I was able to get around a little bit quicker that way. But uh, I got some, did some cool things. I went to Beer Garden for the first time, which I'd never done before. And I used that to get the, uh, I guess, like the front uh, pass to Candlelight Processional. So uh, that was cool. And then I did uh, like Exp- Expedition Everest and Animal Kingdom. Basically, you can only end up doing like two or three things in each park. Um, I also like weirdly got my haircut at the barbershop on main street. Um, (laughs) So I was like, you know what? No time like the present. This is the most random day. Did you have some sort of parking pass? Uh, What did I do? No, I guess what I ended up doing was I parked. If I remember correctly, I started, maybe I parked in, what did I I do? Cause that's a lot of money for parking. Yeah, I, I want to say I must. Well, no. Once you pay once, you can use it all at the same parking pass at a different parking lot. Oh. Yeah, I remember parking at uh, or moving my car somewhere in the middle of the day to Hollywood Studios because the real reason I wanted to go was because that was the year that the Osborne Lights that was their last year, and I wanted to see it. I never seen them before, so mm. um, I ended my night at uh, Hollywood Studios and then made sure to like get back to the airport real quick. So. Yeah, Derek, never never throw away your receipt if you pay for parking because you can use it if you move to a different park and you don't have to pay again. That's a great tip. I had no idea. 
You've been paying like a hundred bucks every day. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I have an annual pass. I'm just saying, if I didn't, I don't know what I would do, but now I do. And also, that's legitimately a great day. Osborne Lights, Candlelight, Beer Garden, Everest, and a haircut. That's right. (laughs) A shave and a haircut. That's crazy. All right. Let's dive into this week's episode, and we're going to kick it off with a round of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, The good, the bad, and the ugly. This is our segment where we take an aspect of Walt Disney World and we analyze it. Deciding if something is good, bad, which means it's okay but could use some improvement, or ugly, which means uh, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. So today we're looking at water features around Walt Disney World. This could be any sort of uh, area that utilizes good old H2O. I'll start with my good. And it is the waterfall behind Wilderness Lodge that starts in the lobby, trickles down through all the rock work, and then just like kind of gushes down by the pool. And I think it really sells the effect that you're in the wilderness, especially when you're standing way down by the pool and you can see the whole resort's backside and that waterfall is right there in the middle with all the rocks. I just think that's such a great effect that honestly they didn't need to do at all. But I'm glad they did. Yeah, that is a good one. And that's that's something that I go out of my way to show people. Like if they've never been to Walt Disney World before, never been to the resorts, usually if we're doing a resort hop, I always say we got to go by the Wilderness Lodge. One, the lobby is beautiful, but then two, you follow the water from the lobby down to the pool. And that impresses a lot of people. Not everyone is impressed, but people with good taste. That's right. I, you, now that you say that, you and I did that for my parents. We took them to the Wilderness Lodge. You know, you get the oohs and ahs when you walk into the lobby, and then you get to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Yeah, just as an aside, the Wilderness Lodge lobby, as we all know, is a real great place to kill some time, especially if it's like been a really hot day or, you know, if you're there in the winter, a kind of a cold day because you can uh, enjoy not only the water feature, but one of my favorite places to, to sit is in the fireplace right there. And I guess like if you're at the entrance, it's at the, the back left corner of the lobby. You sit in the fireplace? <laughs> that well, sounds sorry, dangerous. Yeah. In, uh, I meant uh, near the fireplace. There's like really nice <laughs> rocking chairs near the fireplace, so definitely check those out. Yeah, good tip. Uh, my good, okay, uh, controversial, because there's so many good ones to pick from, but I'm just going to say it. The Lotus Blossoms at Rivers of Light, I just like them a lot. I like the way that they illuminate, and not only do they illuminate, they're different colors, and they move all over the water, but then when they spray, they're very pretty when they spray, because it's not just like a, a spray straight up or straight out, but it, it fluctuates, it moves to the music, it, it's different angles. Um, I just like these a lot, and if they made them in a smaller, compactable way that I could have it in my bathtub, I totally would want them. That is a really great pick, and I totally forgot about those, but that is easily my favorite part of that nighttime show, are those blossoms. Well, I don't know about that, but yes, it is a great part of it. What else is your favorite part? 
Oh man, I just love that whole show. I mean, the I like the the boats with the drummers, and the music is wonderful. The water screens are are nice. It's a good show. People people like to poo poo on that show, but it is it is a good show. You know, I was pointing out to someone recently that you led the charge of poo pooing on that show before you saw it. You're right. You I absolutely did, and and then like. Like Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, I saw the rivers of light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So I actually was going to pick the water feature in Wilderness Lodge as well, but I have a backup. So uh, what, last year when I was there with my niece, who was uh, just over one at the time, uh, she didn't really have any idea what was going on around her. Uh, she was, I think, definitely a little uh, overwhelmed with all the stuff happening, especially our first day at Magic Kingdom. But we found ourselves back behind the castle in that little courtyard. And there, right there, I think to the left, uh, is the Cinderella fountain. And it's pretty small, but it's actually a really great photo op, especially for little kids. And a photo pass person actually found us and uh, really spent a lot of time with my niece, just taking a whole bunch of photos. Um, and it, it really is a really great place. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Just that, uh, you know, if you're looking for a place, especially with a little kid, um, to uh, take a step back, maybe uh, take some photos and stuff like that. Um, it's just a really pretty area. Lots of great colors, um, especially for uh, if you have a really nice camera. comes across really well. I was just about to mention the colors. That's one thing that strikes me of pictures that are taken there. The the sort of pinks and blues are really pretty. And I also like her pose in the statue. Like yeah. it just it just really conveys that she's a very kind character. Yeah. And one of the things I like about that too is that it's Cinderella as her like pre-princess self and you don't usually get a lot of that representation in the parks. Usually it's their like really, you know, gussy ball gowns and stuff like that. So I appreciate every once in a while where we see the princesses in some of their more casual wear. Yeah, definitely. All right, this is a hard category to talk about, especially when we have to get into the, the bad and the ugly, because Walt Disney World is full of so many wonderful water features. And the thing about water features, this is something that only Disney nerds talk about because I mean it's just like it's just water you don't really think about how it got there but the fact is like Imagineers had to artificially put these things in the parks and that in and of itself is a is a generally speaking wonderful thing that being said as we get into the bad category which means it could use some improvement my pick is the jumping fountains in dang it there <laughs> I have a backup if you want me to go there. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, this was this was also mine as well. So <laughs> what? That's crazy. Okay. So when you walk up the ramp and go to the very back of the Imagination Pavilion, where the Pixar Film Festival is currently, they have those little circular pads that shoot little streams of water, and it's as though they are jumping from one to another. If you've seen older pictures of this, those little fountains used to be surrounded by plants that sort of, kind of hid the little pads that the water jumps from. Well, since since um, the, uh, the plants have now been replaced by big rocks, which is still like a landscaping tool, I understand, but it totally exposes these pads which almost looks like 
things you're not supposed to see. Because you see the pad and there's a big old hole cut out of the pad where the spout sticks out. And it looks like you're not really supposed to be seeing what you're seeing. And also, they don't work half the time. They're discolored. They got mold growing on them. They're, they're in bad disrepair. Yeah. In fact, the last time I saw these up close, I was with Derek and Matt. And I couldn't believe that these were still turned on. Because they just, well, some of them. Because they would look so bad. It almost felt like the fountain at uh, Tower of Terror. Like, is this supposed to be like this? Is this like a stylized, like, oh, imagination is in trouble sort of uh, storytelling tool? (laughs) Right. And the reason they're not ugly is because I really like that they're there. I think it's a really fun effect where it bounces from one to the other. And we always talk about kinetic energy, and that's what these add. But last time I was there, it literally was just sputtering. Like, there was something blocking it, and it was just like like a fire hydrant that's been busted. That's what it was doing. And it was even making like the sound it was a mess <laughs> see i what? actually challenge that i think that the fountains could use a little bit of an update it is the 21st century you see these water features everywhere at your local shopping mall at you know some you know outdoor space in your local neighborhood i really feel like they got to plus it a little bit and i think combined with what you guys were saying about how it really looks like they've gone into quite a bit of disrepair. Um, I think that they really, these in particular, the jumping ones, I think the other water features around that area look pretty good, but the the jumping water, uh, I think with the whole context that we've been describing, just, just seems real sad. You live in a fancy neighborhood. If you have these, (laughs) (laughs) I've drove by a strip mall yesterday that had like a crazy fountain and everything. And I was like, this doesn't seem like it fits here, but still, uh, it was more impressive than the uh, jumping water in Yeah, It's just Jeff out in his front yard with his hose, and he just puts his thumb over it and, look, kids, <laughs> it's jumping water. <laughs> that doesn't um, sound creepy at all. <laughs> I also put in the reverse water fountains in this category as well by imagination. I like them. Like Derek said, they look good with the kinetic energy. But like Jeff mentioned as well, they're very 80s. Um, I think that that sort of thrill has come and gone and perhaps there's something else that we can do here to uh, sort of take that idea and plus it and bring it into uh, 2018. Maybe the Guardians of the Galaxy can help us with that. (laughs) Okay, yeah. My favorite is when that fountain is turned off and you just see how ugly and old it is (laughs) when it's dry. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually looking up some videos of this whole area earlier today to make sure I, I remembered how bad it actually was. And I remember listening to a, an interview with Tony Baxter once where he's like, the reason why we don't want to get rid of Autopia because it's because, you know, little kids want that experience of driving a car. So even though as adults, we're like, it smells, it's loud, it doesn't really fit, it takes up too much space. Like, there's a practical reason why this stuff still exists. And I almost wonder, as I was watching these videos today and seeing all the kids that were still interacting with the jumping water um, or, or seem mesmerized by it, I, I wonder if that's why it's there. Maybe that's a, uh, an optimistic <laughs> interpretation and it's not just because Disney's being a little cheap. But um, I, I do wonder if maybe that's why they haven't really gone all out and done, like, more of Impressive stuff, you know? Yeah, I can see that for sure. Does anybody have a backup they want to mention? I do. Uh, So my bad is, and I think it just, for me, I don't happen to like it. I think it's 
you know, it's it's executed fairly well. I just don't, I just don't like that it's there to begin with. Uh, is the uh, Gaston LeFou Fountain in New Fantasyland? Uh, the reason I don't care for this is because it's a little on the nose. Like we know Gaston is full of himself. He may very well even have a statue of himself in their village, but it just it's too comical. Uh, it just doesn't really fit. And I know for me, if what I really wanted a New Fantasyland, and I was disappointed that it wasn't there, was a more immersive experience in Bell's Village. Uh, and that fountain is just another thing that kind of takes me out of it. Um, so it's fine for what it is. It just doesn't happen to be something that I particularly like. And I think that if New Fantasyland had opened a couple of years later, after you saw more successes uh, in both of the Harry Potter lands and as well as Avatar Land and Cars Land, um, we may have gotten something, uh, a land uh, like Bell's Village or even, you know, uh, you know, Ariel's, uh, you know, Under the Sea Kingdom or something like that, that was a little bit more immersive and said, now New Fantasyland just feels very, um, kind of like your greatest hits of those, mm. those different areas. Yeah. What they need is the fountain from the movie that she sits on to read and just have like sheep wandering around it throughout the day. Yeah, and eating books. Yeah, exactly. Come f and you can like buy a book for a dollar and feed it to the sheep. Yeah, or just like your <laughs> entertainment guide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm picturing two uh, major problems with this: one being pita, and two being uh, the smell of fecal matter from sheep yeah. just floating through New Fantasyland. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the concept art didn't show the snuggly duckling being there at one point. It did. Mm. That was uh that was in the original concept art. Yes. And I kind of wish they would have done that. I know we got Tangled Bathrooms, but I kind of like the idea of n the new Fantasyland having a more eclectic flair. Mm -hmm. Rather than it's all mainly a lot of Beauty and the Beast and a little bit of Mermaid. And then I guess you have Seven Dwarfs Mind Train. But if you had the Beauty and the Beast section, the Tangled section, the, you know, blah, 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 blah. It, it'd have a more feel of what Fantasyland should represent rather than just one property having really three major presence there. Yeah, and with Be Our Guest being so hard to get into now, the Snuggly Duckling would have been a nice, quick-service alternative. I'm picturing something kind of like Di um, the Leafy Cauldron at Diagon Alley, you know, that sort of feel, where it's just long tables. and Anyway, but we didn't get it, so there you go. All you right, have so a piano player? Yes, with hooks for hands. <laughs> hmm. All right, Ugly. My pick for the Ugly Water feature is very very specific but when you ride splash mountain obviously lots of good water features like i like when uh you you kind of have jumping fountains in there with the frog the little area with the frogs and the turtles and all that you know the jumping water uh but the feature i don't like is after you've come down the big drop and you're about to dip down into the cave where the welcome home rare rabbit celebration is happening there's that waterfall just to your right that is very forceful and sometimes boats get backed up and you just end up stopping there and the waterfall just splashes you for about 10 seconds. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. It's kind of, it's, it's almost like, hey, you might not have gotten wet on the splash, but we're going to make sure you get wet right here. Right. For no reason. <laughs> right. And the people on the left side of the boat are like, ha ha. And the people on the right are like, stop. Go forward, go forward. I'm just getting soaked. And it's annoying. Yeah, I'm with you. I, that is very specific. That never even <laughs> crossed my mind at all. Because it almost feels like 
it almost feels like it's not supposed to be there. Like it's an overflow of like the water up top that is just kind of formed this weird waterfall, but it's always there. So maybe it is intentional. Yeah. Or it's like maybe they had two streams and somewhere in the course of the last 20 years, like they combined and now it's like one forceful stream coming down. I don't know. But there's a joke, Jeremy, are you, you going to jump on it? <laughs> two streams? Yeah, I was going to say that, but. German's like they're combining streams. It's like, oh, they're crossing streams. Come on, it's right there. It's right You're right. There. Sometimes we let the low hanging fruit just just stay there on the tree. Okay. All right, that's, that's what I'm here for today. Uh, my ugly is not that specific. Um, mine is the fountain out front of dinosaur at Animal Kingdom, simply because, to me, it's just is useless. And I think it's because I hate the dinosaur that is featured in it. Um, wow. That, well, that film was just not good. And the dinosaur to me, it always bothered me because dinosaurs, the, the human eyes in the dinosaurs what bothers me. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't like that. And I wish they would change that. I understand why they did that for the film because, you know, it's the same reason they give like human-esque eyes for the fish in Finding Dory. Because if you had the eyes where they usually are, then they're not you know, lovable and, and cute and that kind of thing. But the human eyes on that dinosaur always kind of gives me the creeps. They could easily fix that. But then also the fountain, there's not even a fountain. It's just water sitting there. It kind of reminds me of a, a pool that you would see at your local mall in the late 90s with that blue ceramic tile. And it's not very deep, but it's got the lights in it that don't serve any other purpose or, you know, for beauty other than there's a light at the bottom of this fountain. I don't know. It's just kind of ugly to me, and it needs to be either ripped out and updated. Maybe throw in some some jumping water in there or, or, or something. I don't know. But uh, I don't like it. It is very still, which allows you to see all the coins that have been thrown in. The coins, and then you can see that it hasn't been cleaned in a while. Yeah, there's, there's lots of things wrong with this. And then, you know, every now and then you go by there and someone's letting their child dip their feet in it, which is really disgusting. Uh, okay, so I guess I'll jump to mine. Um, so originally mine, the ugly was going to be the jumping water fountains in Epcot. So I'm going to do my backup, which is the uh, Miss Piggy fountain in front of Muppet Vision. Now, it's not to say I don't like it, but, you know, that period, was it last year where they took it away for six months or something like that? Uh, and they brought it back, but it's now missing. If I, unless I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. It's missing several of the characters that used to accompany Piggy in the fountain. So there used to be like Animal and Gonzo and Fozzie operating like a camera. Um, and now it's just Piggy and I think some rats and like a little tiny rowboat or something like that. And it's just sad, you know, like <laughs> you can kind of see over time they've been like stripping away at the the uh, the representation of the Muppets in that park. Um, and, you know, at this point, I'm just kind of waiting for them to rip the whole thing out. So that's that's me the ugly um just put the characters back if you got them in storage there's no reason not to put them back i don't think they're taking up any more space okay i just saw this last month and i don't remember characters being missing i'm not saying you're wrong i just didn't really pay attention to it but it's funny that you say this because i actually mentioned out loud like i remarked how the whole area now kind of looks like 
if a if a movie were filming on a closed set and they had to recreate like a nice quaint neighborhood, this is exactly what it would look like. Because you see the pizza restaurant and then the theater and the fountain and then you see like Grand Union, whatever that thing is called, um, that represents LA on the other side of the wall. And it just looks like someone built a fake set to represent like a suburb of New York or something. And I kind of liked it in that way. So. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, no, I, I had cross-referenced with Instagram today as, you know, obviously it's it's the the, um, the most, uh, I don't know what you want to say. It's definitely where, uh, let me back up. What am I trying to say? It's uh, the most up-to-date reference that you can Yeah, find. yeah. Like, you know, I just assumed that, you know, if it's dated within the last couple of days, that must be true. Uh, and yeah, all the characters except for Piggy are gone, so. Oh, yeah, that is lame. But for the record, Derek and I's, uh, mouths both dropped when Jeff, Jeff said that simultaneously hit the floor. Like, yeah, what? I was like, of all water features in Walt Disney World, what do you have against Miss Piggy? No, I love it. It just it seems like it's it's a it's a shadow of its former self, you know, mm-hmm. and that's disappointing. And that I can agree with you because some there are some things that are they're not what they used to be, and it's just like just take it out, just get rid of it instead of just teasing us. With, you know, this handicapped version of what used to be there. Like Figment. Like Figment. (laughs) Exactly. They got their name on a window on Main Street, USA. If you're walking down Main Street, either in Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom, on either side you'll notice some windows bearing the names of men and women who have contributed something to the Walt Disney Company. Why? Well, because Disney likes to pay homage to the people who have brought them to where they are today. And we like to do the same thing on our show. And so every once in a while we pop in with this segment, The Windows of Main Street USA, and we focus on one of the men or women whose names are on these windows. Uh, so, Jeremy, who are we talking about today? Today we will be honoring Mary Brown Robinson Blair, better known as Mary Blair. Uh, she was born in 1901 in Oklahoma, but her family did not stay there very long. They moved to San Jose, California, and that's kind of where she grew up. She went to college. While she was in college, she met her husband, Lee Everett Blair, and they both were artists and graduated and looking for jobs. Both found their way to the Disney organization. Uh, Mary kind of got her start at the Disney company in 1941. She did sketches for Dumbo and even worked on some sketches for a Fantasia sequel, which was uh, in the works. But where she really hit her stride was in 1940, late in 1941, uh, Walt Disney and his wife Lily took a bunch of the artists from the company down to South America, where they went on a goodwill tour for the United States and the United Nations. And she started doing some watercolors and some sketches and those kind of things. In fact, when you watch Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros, you can actually see Mary Blair, the person. Uh, in some of the segments where they show some of the artists. And it's kind of there that she developed her uh, very recognizable style. 
um, the whimsical style. She had a way of really drawing in a whimsical way. In fact, one of the artists, I was watching a YouTube thing earlier today, and he said that before Mary Blair, the Disney organization lacked whimsy. And I really like that. He's like, they had, you know, the story, they had this, they had fantasy, they had all these things. Before Mary Blair, they didn't have whimsy, and she brought whimsy. And another thing that she was very much well known for was her use of colors. Uh, and, and that's really kind of her lasting legacy. Um, she, one of the things I, I didn't think about, but I, I saw in this documentary was that some of the artists had a problem with Mary Blair because her art didn't necessarily translate very well with the kind of style that the Disney company was doing at that time. Theirs was what they described as a very European-inspired style of animation at that time, where hers was very two-dimensional, where they were trying to be three-dimensional in their drawings. Um, so you will never like see a movie and be like, oh, this is Mary Blair art. Uh, however, you will see elements of her art that inspired the scenes. And you can see that in things like uh, a short called The Little House, the Ichabod and... Uh, the Adventures of Ichabod the Mr. Ted. Yes, so the Ichabod scenes where, particularly if he's running from the Headless Horseman, the backgrounds are really Mary Blair-esque in their style and color choices. The Johnny Appleseed short, which I believe is in Make Mine Fancy Free Melody Time, one of those. <laughs> and uh, she did the concept art for Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, and Peter Pan. Uh, so Walt really enjoyed her art and her style. Uh, she left the company in 1953, and she went and did her own little thing, doing some book illustrations and advertising. Uh, she left on good terms, and then she came back in 1963 when Walt himself invited her back to do the art and concept, concept art and, and design for It's a Small World, which was coming to the 1964 World's Fair. Right, and which is also, it, it makes so much sense because she went to South America with that group. She really captured like that whole Latin American vibe, which is why they used her for those films, Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros. And it totally makes sense why she would be used for an attraction that depicts all sorts of cultures. And you're trying to make these cultures relatable and vibrant and lived in. And that's really what she did with It's a Small World. So I had never really put that together. But once I did, like it made total sense to me. These cultures that are full of color. Totally. And, and if you're going to do something as well as whimsical, you know, something childlike with children, I think that that really fits the bill as well. And if I can go back to what you were saying about the animators sort of butting heads with her, not personality wise, but with her art, I didn't know that either. And I also read that as I was doing some research and like she started, I think she studied fine arts. Like that's what she thought she would do is be an artist and then I think in her own words, she said she joined the Walt Disney Company, quote, reluctantly, like going into animation was not exactly what she had in mind. And then you can actually go online and see some of her concept art for movies like Cinderella and Peter Pan. And it's these beautiful pieces that are almost geometric in a way, which is what she's kind of known for, which is so not Disney because the, the Cinderella animators ended up going obviously with more curved looks, you know, soft faces for the characters. Whereas when you look at her concept art, they're very angular and geometric. And, the, and really, it was the animators who came to Walt and they said... 
we're having a really, really hard time animating this art she's given us. And so they went with the more curved style, which is why in Alice in Wonderland, you do see more of her art because, I mean, that whole movie is like a, a trip, <laughs> you know, like it's supposed to look surreal and fantastical. And so that's why she, you see more of her art in that movie. I just I never I had never heard that before, but that's fascinating to me. I always tell people, too, if you're at Walt Disney World, you have to go by the Contemporary Resort mm-hmm. and see her 90 foot mural that's not even one mural it's really four murals in one that are kind of all around that beam uh at the contemporary resort and it's wonderful and you and find the five-legged goat (laughs) yeah again has tons of inspiration i'm sure from her trip to south america because you see all sorts of cultures depicted there Mm-hmm. Exactly. And as I've said on the show before, and I haven't forgotten, that's going to be my first tattoo is the five legged goat in honor of Mary Blair. Not bad. Uh, but Mary went on to, uh, unfortunately, she passed away young at the age of 66 of a cerebral hemorrhage on July the 26th, 1978. She became a posthumous Disney legend in 1991. And again, her influence and her legacy still felt by the Walt Disney Company and still inspiring artists today. Yeah, one of the things that I found when uh, doing some research for this is that I guess it was back in 2011 when it would have been the 100th anniversary of her birth. um, There was actually a Google Doodle dedicated to Mary Blair. And I think oftentimes as Disney fans, we like to think, oh, Mary Blair was Disney, like she was ours, right? But she actually contributed a lot. If you go and look at her Wikipedia and other sources, she contributed a lot, as Jeremy was saying, to advertising and children's books. And her style really influenced a whole bunch of other people, especially with her use of color and geometry, uh, as Derek was saying. Um, And just to go back to what Jeremy was saying about, um, I guess both of you were saying about how she was tying together various cultures um, through It's a Small World. Um, Her work after she left the Disney company uh, is actually, I think it's still there, but um, Disney, the company, was tasked with uh, creating a mural for the new um, Eye Institute at the University of California, Los Angeles, and Mary Blair was actually assigned to it uh, with the theme, again, of uh, of It's a Small World there in the hospital. So you can see her work there. You know, she's done other murals. Uh, She did the murals in Tomorrowland at Disneyland before they were removed. I believe it was in the 80s and the 90s. Um, But yeah, you can see her stuff everywhere. One of my favorite things is that she influenced um, a lot of the current designers that you see or artists that you see at places like World of Disney or Wonderground out in in California. Uh, One of my favorites is an artist named Joey Chu. A lot of his stuff is really heavily influenced by Mary Blair in terms of use of color and shapes and things like that. And he actually went back and illustrated a It's a Small World children's book um, that follows, you know, the lyrics of of the song. Uh, and it's it's a beautiful book. They still sell it in the parks if you have a chance to pick it up. Um, it's a really great gift for kids, especially. Um, but it definitely has that Mary Blair vibe to it. My favorite piece of art that Joey Chu has done is it was sold in the parks for a while. And then, of course, about the time I came or about the time I decided I wanted it, they didn't sell it anymore. But it was a, it's a small world and it used a lots of it used lots of blues and purples and it had five kids sitting in the boat. Do you know what's what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually bought the little postcard size of that one. Uh, I wish I had. Check out his website. Um, it's got you know, he has a new piece about with Edna Mode in it. Lots of. Alice in Wonderland, um, Beauty and the Beast. So his stuff is great. And again, it looks uh, very much Mary Blair inspired. 
Yeah, I think it's significant that Mary Blair did so well and contributed so much when really this was a male-dominated industry for a very long time. And I think a lot of people would argue that it still is in a way. And the fact that so many of her pieces were used is significant. And I've always wondered why the mural is in the contemporary resort because it, it feels more suited for maybe like Coronado Springs or something like that. But she was always considered a modernist with her art and, and her unique styling and especially the colors she used. So I wonder if, I have no idea, but I wonder if that's why they landed on the contemporary for that mural. I could see that because it's not very, it, it's not very intricate and modern especially modern art was very practical um and when you think about modern architecture in the mid-century you know it's very boxy and you kind of can get that feel from her from her art you know there's not extreme details in it per se so maybe you're right maybe she was considered a modernist artist what is the name of this jimmy shu who <laughs> it's a uh, joey chu uh, joey chu i was yeah weird. it's uh last name is c-h-o-u i hope i'm pronouncing that right uh, I did want to also point out, too, there was actually a Mary Blair illustrated biography that came out last year uh, called Pocket Full of Colors. Uh, and I am going to mangle the names of the authors, um, Amy Guillermo and uh, Jacqueline Torville, uh, and illustrated by Bridget Berger. Um, and it looks really good. I haven't actually seen it in person, but I'm looking at the uh, its its listing on Simon, Simon & Schuster's website right now. And it, it um, definitely fits her style and it covers her life and, and her career. So if anybody is a Mary Blair head, they should check that out too. I have to have this. I <laughs> was not aware of this. And when you Google Joey Chu, again, C-H-O-U, Joey Chu, it's a small world. One of the first images to pop up is the vertical one he did where it's five kids in a boat. And then you see the it's a small world clock behind them and the whole facade. I love it so much. And it really captures Mary Blair. And I, that reminds me, we actually didn't really talk about the facade because, yes, yeah, she designed pretty much the whole concept of It's a Small World. But my favorite aspect when you go to Disneyland is that gorgeous facade out front with the triangles and the circles and the clocks. That is pure Mary Blair. I mean, that might be like the definitive Mary Blair right there. One of one of the things that I find the most disappointing about uh, the Florida version of It's a Small World is that you, you get kind of a fake facade because it's built inside of the loading area, which is inside of the building there in Fantasyland. Um, and for, for Disney fans, if you have a chance to go to some of the other parks like California or Paris or Tokyo, um, they have these gorgeous exterior, um, uh, it's small world facades uh, that are just breathtaking. So I definitely make sure to check those out if you're ever, ever in any of the other parks. Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, the international parks a little bit later, but Correct me if I'm wrong, the Tokyo one uses many more colors than the Disneyland one, right? Is it Tokyo? Uh, I think it's all of the international parks. Uh, I should probably look that up before, <laughs> before I speak too much, uh, say too much. But yeah, I think it's all the international parks. I think it's only California that has the the almost, you know, white eggshell uh, color palette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like white and gold a lot. But then I, I've seen pictures of Tokyo where it's blues and pinks and purples and oranges, and it's just like so vibrant, which honestly captures Mary Blair pretty well. She's good, you guys. Check out her heart. <laughs> Check out her art if you never have before. Um, I didn't realize this, but a lot of her Peter Pan art, kind of like the Cinderella art, was scrapped just because it was so hard to animate. But when you watch that movie, Skull Rock and Mermaid Lagoon are all her. When you see those scenes, like even from far away when they're about to land in the ship and all that. 
those are her designs. Yeah, they, they definitely learn to uh, incorporate them in the best ways. There you go. So next time you're walking down Main Street, I don't know where it is, but it's the window says Center Street Academy of Fine Art, Painting and Sculpture. And it lists five names, including Blaine Gibson and Herbert Ryman. And then right there among them, Mary Blair. No, we do know where it is. We just can't do everything for you people. So take a little initiative yourself. I'm guessing it's about halfway down the street because it says Center Street. (laughs) Total speculation. This is where we, um, as James Taylor says, has gone to Carolina in our mind. We have gone to Walt Disney World in our mind. And we pick a hiding place. And then the other two have ten questions each going back and forth to go and find us. And you get two guesses along the way. Questions, comments, concerns, complaints? I'm good. Well, if that's the case, then Derek, why don't you go hide first? Okay, I'm there. Ready or not, here we come. Jeff, go ahead. As the honored guest, you get to ask the first question. Are you inside a theme park? No. Are you at a resort? Yes. Are you at a deluxe resort? No. Moderate resort? Yes. Um, are you at a resort that starts with Port Orleans? (laughs) (laughs) No, I am not. Um, are you at Coronado Springs Resort? No. Are you at Caribbean Beach? No. I think we're just listing them now. Dang it, what other moderates are, uh... I'm, can I, can I dialogue with Jeff really quick, just for a moment? (laughs) Sure. All right, Jeff, your question. (laughs) (laughs) JK. Dang it. I'm just kidding. Are are those resorts over there, the Disney Springs ones, like uh, uh, Saratoga Springs, and are those considered moderates or are those deluxes? Uh, Saratoga Springs is considered deluxe. Uh, Which other ones are you thinking of? I know Port Orleans is on that, the Saskaluga Yeah. Isn't there another one over there by Saratoga, Saratoga Springs Beach Club? Is that a is that a or beach? beach you mean like is it like Old Key West? Old Key West. That's what I was thinking. I was way off again. Uh, is that a deluxe or is I, that a model? that's considered a deluxe too? Because those are both DVC properties. Okay. So um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other moderates there are. There is one left. Oh, okay. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Just, um, let me just go and pretend I'm booking a trip. Do, 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 do. Um, the only one left, according to Disney's website, is Fort Wilderness or the cabins at Fort Wilderness Resort. As a are you at the? Okay, I'll I'll burn my question for that. Are you at the cabins of Fort Wilderness? Why, yes, I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do we need more details than that? 
Oh, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhere specific. Gotcha. Dang it, I've never been over by the cabins. Okay, so we're that was my that was the fourth question for both of us. Jeff, your turn. I have I have never been to the cabins at Poor Wilderness, so <laughs> I promise you you know this place exists. Uh are you well, because there's the cabins and then there's just like the Fort Wilderness grounds, right? And are those two distinct things? I guess this is a question for Jeremy. <laughs> well, Derek kind of shook his head no, so I'm going to go with no. <laughs> I'm considering all of Fort Wilderness as Fort Wilderness. I think they're called the cabins on the website because that's where you actually stay. Like when you look up moderate resorts, it's going to show up as cabins. Oh, right. Gotcha. Yeah, because that's wouldn't count a ca- campground as, uh, as a moderate resort. Okay. Right. Uh, are you at Trails End? No, but that is at Fort Wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> How much cheating has gone on so far? Are you at the Hoop de Doo Review? Yes! Woohoo! Pioneer Hall. Hoop de Doo. See, not so bad. No. <laughs> when you have the internet. You know, I've never been there either. I know you've been there several times and enjoy it. Just once, but yeah, I liked it a lot. You hear this rumor that it could be going away? I did. Honestly, listen. I love it, and I don't want it to go away. Honestly, though, when I saw it, my first thought was, how is this still here? (laughs) Because it's a little racist. (laughs) Well, when when the guy comes out in blackface, it's a little much. (laughs) No, they don't go that far. But they have an... Well, spoiler, if you've never seen the show, you know, skip ahead a few seconds. They bring someone from the audience every time to act as a very stereotypical Native American. Oh, no. Yeah, like feather on the head and everything. Oh, I was going to ask, is it like, is it, you know, what makes the red man red? Are they like reenacting that song? <laughs> Peter Pan, you know, essentially. Oh. Give it up for Mr. Al Jolson, everyone. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that being said, it's a great show and you should go see it. Just, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. Uh, yikes. How much audience participation is there? That's always kind of been one of those things that I've I've shied away from because I've heard stories that it gets real rowdy. Right. I'm the exact same way. We sat on the second story, and as far as I know, no one on our floor was used at all. And then downstairs, I mean, there's got to be 60 tables, and they maybe brought up three people total. So the odds are you will not get picked. But there is the possibility. All right. It should be like when you go to Fogo to Chow and you got that little card, like, green to bring me more meat and red to, like, stop bringing me meat. They need to have those on the tables for these participatory restaurants so that you can, you know, they know to leave you alone. <laughs> you could always wear a button. <laughs> I am not a racist. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't pick me. <laughs> I'm celebrating silence. Yeah. Don't pick me. <laughs> All right, Jeff. All right. Are you in a park? No. Are you in a resort? Yes. Are you at the Hoop-de-Doo Review? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Are you at a deluxe resort? Yes. Are you at the Wilderness Lodge? No. Are you at one of the monorail resorts? No. Ooh, wow. Um, Are you at Old Key West? (laughs) No. Are you at Animal Kingdom Lodge? No. Oh, my. Um, Are you at Saratoga Springs? (laughs) No. Are you at Yacht Club? No. Oh, crap. Lord, where else? Are you at the Swan and Dolphin? 
No. Do those count as deluxes? No, they don't. I'll get another question. Uh, are you... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's one, two, three, four, five. We're halfway there, Derek. Oh, gosh. Okay. And we still don't know what deluxe resorts are left. Are you at Beach Club? No. Staring you in the face. Come on. I know. There's one resort I have left to guess. So it's not on the monorail loop. It's not Wilderness. It's not Animal Kingdom launch. Are you at Shades of Green? <laughs> no, I've never been to Shades of Green, actually. Mm, me either. Are you at the Boardwalk? Yes. Ah. Well, I shouldn't have asked it. I knew. <laughs> are you are you at a at a restaurant at the boardwalk? No. Are you in the pool area of the boardwalk? No, but that's pretty scary. I know. <laughs> I thought that's maybe what you were like coming out of the clown's mouth or something. Oh no, thank you. Are you enjoying a nighttime entertainment place at Boardwalk? Uh, no. I've also never been to... Is General still even open? I yeah. believe it is. Oh, uh, okay. And the Atlantic Dance Hall. That was eight, by the way. Oh, gosh. Are you in the main lobby of the Boardwalk? Where those creepy chairs are? <laughs> I'm going to add a qualifier here. Technically, no. I think you could, somebody could say that this is in the lobby, but I would disagree. Okay. Crap. Um, are you in a shop? Yes. I don't know the name of the shop. <laughs> that's, I mean, I guess that's pretty much it, right? Because there's only one shop in, near the lobby, so. Well, if it means I win, then yes, I think that's right. <laughs> oh, wait, like the main shop where you buy things you've left at home yeah sure what's yeah, the name of that shop it's a little it, it's, it's technically called dundee's sundries yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not i don't think it's in the lobby i it's, think it's it, off on in one of the hallways right but it's close ish to the lobby oh i actually thought maybe it's a different one i'm thinking of i i'm picturing the one where you have to go through the lobby and then down the stairs and it's next door to like the big river grill Oh, yeah. No, no. There's the small one that's actually, like, right adjacent to the lobby. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good job. Well, more importantly, I won. So, <laughs> What are uh... you buying there? Or are you just hiding? There's a really nice uh, boardwalk mug that I've had my eye on for a while. So Is it the real tall skinny one? Yeah. It's yeah. got, like, a real intricate design on the side. I do like that. Yeah. yeah. The Deluxe Resorts, man, they have some good merch. Yeah. Usually coffee mugs. Yeah, you then you get to the the values and it's like the same the same exact mug, maybe in a different color and they just like plaster the different logos on it. Yeah. Or the All-Stars have those fake trophies. It's like All-Star Mom. All right, Jeremy. Okay, I'm hidden. Go ahead. Okay. Are you in a park? Yes. Are you in Animal Kingdom? <laughs> yes, actually I am. Whoa. Are you in Dinoland, USA? <laughs> You're going to think I'm making this up, but yes, I am. Are you on Primeval World? No. Ah. Are you meeting a character? 
is too easy. Yes. Okay, I want to take one of my guesses. Are you meeting Chip and Dale in their dinosaur costume? No. Ah. Uh, Are you meeting Scrooge McDuck? I am uh, because I did. <laughs> <laughs> I love the shirt in that photo. We got like the old Ducktales NES uh, yes. design. That was Thank awesome. You. I got that shirt. I was given that shirt some years ago from uh, friend David, who's been on the show before. He and his wife Katie. And I remembered that Donald was meeting, or not Donald, excuse me, Scrooge was meeting. And so I said, I'm going to wear this shirt really quick and threw it on last minute, not knowing if I would get to meet him or not. And then I did. And thankfully the picture turned out well because I was sweaty mess because it was smoking hot that day. Mm -hmm. At JD Crittenden on Instagram. Yeah, there you go. Come follow me. I don't know where we're going, but follow me. And by the way, you said Donald Duck. According to 90% of the people in line behind me, it was Donald Duck who was meeting oh, that day. Clearly. I meant Scrooge, obviously. And how great is that meet and greet, by the way? I mean, just the whole, like, Donald's Dino Bash feel. I just like it. I like having Launchpad there. I like having characters in Dino Land. It just feels, it feels right. I agree. I mean, if characters is what you care about, I mean, it's bam, 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 one after the other as soon as you step foot in there. True. And I like that they're ducks because ducks are the modern day dinosaurs. That's what the story is. <laughs> I mean, of that land. There's even the statue of the dinosaur or the, I think it's a dodo bird maybe, holding the sign that says Donald's Dino Bash. And at the bottom is a little indentation in the statue of like a slow, a slow evolution from dinosaur to bird. I think it's great. I think it's a it, somebody put some thought into it because, as we've said before, it's so easy. Sometimes they just stick things in without any thought. Clearly, somebody at least put a little thought into this, and I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So, so somebody Disney was like, "Hey, here's ten dollars. Uh, make a, a interactive uh, activity," and they're like, "All right, well, this is what we're gonna do." Yeah. Uh, and at least it makes a little bit more sense than like saying Peter Quill went to Epcot. Like one time he was a kid, and that justifies Guardians being there. But for real, they were like, "Hey, here's an eighth grade science book. Figure it out." <laughs> I so badly in in Infinity War Part Two just want him to casually talk about the day he's been Epcot, just like randomly <laughs> throw it into a conversation. Oh no, that's how it should end. Is just like you know the old TGIF shows. You know, just have all the Avengers go to Disney World. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that could be a post credit scene. I love it. You know, you get Shawarma in Avengers 1, you go to the Morocco Pavilion in Avengers 4, it all ties together. Oh my gosh. I like it. And I hate it. <laughs> On today's show, we are blessed to be joined by an individual who has visited every single Disney park in the world. I believe that's correct, yes? Yes, even Walt Disney Studios in Paris. Wow. The lowest of the low. And since Jeff is with us today, we thought 
It would make a fun topic to talk about things in those parks, including Disneyland and Disney California Adventure, that we think are so good and so well done that they should come to Walt Disney World. Now, we're not talking about necessarily, it could be, but not necessarily individual rides, attractions, things like that, but just in general, things you love about the international parks that we think could be incorporated well at Walt Disney World. Uh, now, before we start our list, because I we, we each have five, Jeff, do you have a sort of ranking? Have you ever have you ever thought about this? Sat down and ranked the parks and thought about like what are your what are your top three? Hmm, that's a good question. So we're just talking about parks in general, not specific rides. Right, parks. Like how many are there? Eleven or twelve? I want to say there are twelve altogether now with Shanghai. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think a lot of the parks have their own unique qualities that make them stand uh, apart from each other. Obviously, like, just the worst, and all Disney fans who've been there, it, it, they're going to tell you this, is Walt Disney Studios, Paris, as it just, it's cheap, it feels cheap, I think the Imagineers would admit that it's cheap, it's really poorly designed. Thankfully, um, you know, there is going to be some investment that goes into the parks over the, that park, rather, over the next couple of years, where they're going to bring in, I think, three new lands, Marvel, Frozen, and Star Wars, so that's really exciting. Um, I think on a pure execution level, um, you know, Disney, uh, or the Tokyo Disney Sea uh, is, is right up there, as far as it seeming like the Imagineers just like got to, got the bucket of money to let you know their imagination go wild um shanghai is really great too because um it definitely is if a magic kingdom were designed and developed in the 21st century um it's just different enough to be really interesting um yeah so i would say there are almost all of the parks uh, especially the magic kingdom style parks have um their own unique twists that really make them worthwhile uh you know and if you have the means to do so it's definitely worth checking all of them out Nice. And what you said about your favorite and least favorite, I, I hear that generally that Walt Disney Studios is the worst and Disney Sea is the best. But what's fascinating to me is that that really comes across in pictures even. Like when you Google images for Disney Studio Walt Disney Studios, it's like, oh, it's so flat and it looks like a parking lot. And then you see pictures for Disney Sea and it's like, no, that can't be a theme park. Yeah. That's like a a port that people visit somewhere in Asia. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually interesting going back to Walt Disney Studios for a second. I think that's the ugliest of all the parks, but I would actually argue that that Disneyland Paris is the most beautiful of all of the Magic Kingdom-style parks. So it's really weird to have those two literally right next to each other. That contrast makes Walt Disney Studios look that much worse, to be uh, honest. And it came much later, right? Yeah, I think that came in like, oh God, I don't want to, I think it was like 2003, 2005, something like that. Yeah, and they only built it, as far as I am aware, as part of like a contractual obligation with the investors and the government of France. So uh, it's 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 in real rough shape, but hopefully, you know, the next couple of years, we'll see some exciting things happening. A park that gave us lights, motors, action. I mean, come on, how dare you? I forgot that. <laughs> That's right. That was always the big sell, direct from our sister park in <laughs> Paris. And then everybody saw Lights, Motors, Action, and they were like, kids, we are never going to Paris. <laughs> Not Those Parisians are weird. All right, well, Jeff, since you have been to every park. Now, Jeremy and I have been to Disneyland and Disney California Adventures, so we have, you know, that experience at least. And the rest, of course, we've, we've heard about and read about. But since you've been to all of them, why don't you start by listing one one thing you think Disney World could use? 
All right, so I'm actually going to start. I guess we'll we'll start at five and go up. Uh, and this one's actually pretty small, and it's actually uh, a ride that is pretty off the shelf, which I know is something that a lot of people would kind of uh, poo poo at. But it fits with this land, and it's actually the RC racer ride in a lot of the other Toy Story lands. Now, the reason I, I chose this one is because I think it's actually quite fun for an off-the-shelf uh, kind of ride. And I think Toy Story Land in Florida could use an additional couple of attractions. Hopefully, well, I guess you could probably add some shade in there as an attraction in itself. <laughs> um, but the RC ride, it just, you know, it's one of those where it's it's kind of a U-shaped track and you, you go up, uh, you know, backwards and forwards while riding in the RC car. Um, and it doesn't take up a lot of space. It is quite tall, though, uh, which, you know, might affect some sight lines, especially with Star Wars Land. Um, but if they could make it work, it's, you know, another kind of people-eater ride uh, that I think would be uh, good to have in Toy Story Land, which, you know, is already has kind of that off-the-shelf ride with alien swirling saucers. Now, this is interesting to me because I've never talked to someone who's actually ridden it, but I've always looked at pictures and thought, that looks terrible. <laughs> it's cute. I mean, it's fun. It, it's it's similar to like the Mermaid Lagoon, which uh, I also have on my list here, um, which we'll get to in a second. Where a lot of the the rides are kind of off the shelf, but and they're meant really, I think, is kind of like rides for smaller kids. Um, but uh, yeah, it's cute. Um, my my big concern, especially about sight lines, is you know in Shanghai, I was there about a month or two before. Toy Story Land was opening, and their RC track is right at the front of the land, so you can see that track pretty much, well, you can see it from a lot of different places in the park, and that's a little, uh, it, it doesn't look real great there, but I think if you positioned it right, that it, it could fit. Um, in Hong Kong, the lands are separated so um, uh, in such a way that you really can't see Toy Story Land from, say, Mystic Manor, or Mystic, I don't even remember what the land is called there, where Mystic Manor is. Um, Mystic Point, I think, is what it's called, and Grizzly Gulch. Um, so I think I think it, it could fit as long as they made sure that you know it wasn't uh, affecting the experience over in Star Wars Land, since that's obviously going to be the big money maker. Hmm. You know, at the uh, Six Flags St. Louis, there's an attraction that is kind of like that, but instead of just going up and down in a U shape, it actually makes a full circle. And oh. I think they could do that with like the the RC cars. It'd make it a little different, yeah. And it would be a little edgier as well. Yeah, there would definitely be a height restriction for that. <laughs> yeah, I hated it. I rode that thing one time, and it scared me. I because you the, the one point you hang upside down for a few seconds. Yep. Nope. I've ridden that at a fair, and it was the worst ride I've ever been on in my life. <laughs> and I usually like stuff like that. Like that's why I got on it because I thought, ooh, thrilling. And we were all miserable. Yeah. Okay, maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't. That. <laughs> that being said, great idea. I love it. <laughs> we really sold it. Um, so my my number five is a little bit outside the box. Because I was thinking about experiences that we could bring to Walt Disney World from outside parks. And uh, this, again, very outside the box. It'll never happen in Florida, but I would love if it could. And that is, well, I say I love it. I'd love it for about an hour. And that is, I want to experience the parks in the snow. Mm. Oh. I see pictures every winter of Tokyo, Paris, and they always get a nice snowfall and it covers the parks and the photos are just absolutely gorgeous. And I always kind of think about what if it snowed in Walt Disney World, what that would look like, particularly like 
can you imagine Animal Kingdom, the Tree of Life, and with some snow on it, um, the Tower of Terror with some snow. I just think that it would give some very unique photo opportunities and perspectives uh, that we'll probably never get. And now that I am a Floridian again, I am thankful we will never get because I hate winter. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Those pictures are just like surreal. They're so cool. That'd be neat. My number five is also something that obviously won't happen because it's too late for this, but I wanted to include it on my list because I think it's something that the other parks do really well. And that is making the castle an attraction in itself. So Mm -hmm. Cinderella Castle has the restaurant. That's great. That's wonderful. But I mean, only a limited number of families can, can even experience that in a day. And also, I mean, it's food. Like, you can get food other places if you need to, which I always do. But Disneyland, for instance, has the Sleeping Beauty walkthrough, which, you know, is not grand or spectacular in any way, but it's something that you can do inside the castle. You walk up the stairs, you see the little vignettes from the film. Uh, I think the coolest version of this is at Disneyland Paris, where underneath the castle is the Dragon's Lair, and what I assume is an audio-animatronic dragon that you can watch. Uh, even Shanghai, now this ride does not get good reviews, but there's the boat ride, Chris, uh, Voyage to the Crystal Grotto, where you see little scenes from Disney scenes, and then the boat takes you underneath the castle. I just feel like you have this huge structure that is the center point, the focal point of the park. And, I mean, half the time nowadays, because of the stage show, you can't even walk through the castle and see those murals because they have it blocked off. So I, I just would have loved for them to have put something more interactive inside it. Well, and the three other parks have attractions in their icons as well. You know, Spaceship Earth and Tree of Life and whatever the icon is for Hollywood Studios at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. It actually surprises me that, uh, you know, I know that they had canceled the uh, the theater that they were going to build on Main Street. But the fact that there's no other kind of like high capacity stage area um, in Magic Kingdom and really they'd rely on the stage show for everything, um, you know, as far as outdoor entertainment, uh, live entertainment like that, it's just really surprising to me. You know, you look at something like the, the Fantasyland Theater and Disneyland and Mickey and the Magical Map. And again, it's a huge people eater and it entertains people for like, you know, 25, 30 minutes at a time. Uh, and those are really great shows. And it's just real surprising that Magic Kingdom doesn't really have anything uh, anything live like that. Yeah, I've, I've said it a hundred times. Mickey and the Magical Map may not be a perfect show, but it's a ton of fun. And the fact that Magic Kingdom has nothing even remotely close to that which I don't mean to step on anybody else's answer in case that is one of them. But yeah, you're right. They have to rely on that stage in front of the castle for just about everything. We've been Walt Disney World fans now for, gosh, how long? Almost 12 years now Yeah. since our first trip. I've never been to the restaurant in Cinderella Castle. Have you been in there, Derek? I have not. Nope. Okay. I always see it, and I always see people up on the second floor there. And I've always kind of wanted to, but... I never wanted to pay the price to go up there. Jeff, have you dined there? I have not, no. And same for the same reason. It just seems way too much for something. I don't know if I would enjoy enough to justify the cost. Yeah, and I feel like I should, though, at some point. Because, I mean, it is still dining in Cinderella Castle when you get sure. down to it. But... Yeah. And, Jeff, you can help me out with this. But besides the Dragon's Lair underneath 
at Paris. Can't you also go up to the second story and there's sort of like a veranda, a walk around veranda that you can kind of make your way around? Yeah, it's like a little, a little like, I don't know, yeah, some sort of like, it's like a walkout um, uh, veranda that looks out onto Fantasyland. Yeah, and it, you actually go up and it has, similar to the, the one in Disneyland in California, it has uh, kind of a walkthrough of the different scenes from Sleeping Beauty. Mm, okay, I've just seen pictures from the inside of like, there's the picture of, or the statue of Aurora and Philip dancing, and then some stained glass windows that are really pretty. Yeah, yeah. And going back to the idea before of the of the stage show, like we were saying, almost all of the international parks now and Disneyland in California have some version of it's like a review of like you know Mickey and the Magical Map, Mickey and the Magician. I think there's one the one in Hong Kong is called Mickey and the Magical Book or something like that. And you know it's again it's it's a, usually a three or four segment show uh, that features you know scenes from different uh, Disney uh, movies. And again, it just seems like kind of a no brainer why that. You, that they should have that in the Magic Kingdom, and it's real surprising that they don't have that. And they're really, really good. I saw the Mickey and the Magician in Paris over the summer, and uh, it's a really good show. Great effects. Um, yeah, I'm just surprised that we don't have that in Florida. Yeah. All right. So my number four is uh, it's actually a land, um, and it's from Tokyo Disney Sea. Uh, and the reason why I picked this one is because I think it could have gone in really well into New Fantasyland. Um, and it's something that would offer a little bit of a, a, a break for people, um, and it's Mermaid Lagoon. And uh, the exterior is really great. It looks like Atlantica or whatever the name of, of the uh, underwater kingdom is in Little Mermaid. And inside, it's a mix of, again, those kind of off-the-shelf rides like jumping jellyfish and uh, things like that. But then there's also a big theater in there as well. And the great thing about this is that in, when you enter in the land, you're entering into a building, and all of the attractions are inside the building, but it's all themed to look like you're under the sea, obviously. Um, and then the stage show used to be, I think, a, uh, one that kind of retold the story of Little Mermaid. Now I think it's some sort of like Ursula show, if I remember correctly. Um, but it would be a good way to get people, again, a ton of people you know, out of the walkways in the park. They could go and enjoy the air conditioning, see a show, hang out with the kids. There's a restaurant in there, a gift shop. Um, and I think it would have gone in well uh, in the you know Little Mermaid area of uh, the Magic Kingdom. Jeff, your list is fascinating to me. <laughs> Just because I, when I see pictures of Tokyo Sea, it's beautiful, and you see the mountain and the boats and the gondolas, and then you see what essentially looks like a Seuss land over <laughs> at Mermaid Lagoon. Yeah. That being said, it's in. Disney Sea. If you put it in Magic Kingdom, it might fit better. Yeah, and I guess I was picking some things that I thought maybe wouldn't be super obvious. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the especially the exterior of the land is is just really well executed, um, and that the colors kind of, you know, it seems really garish when you're looking at it, uh, you know, just a still photo or whatever. But when you're walking around in the park, um, you don't really notice it being that much glaringly different than everything that's around it. Okay. Uh, it's a little fantastical. Yeah, I think it works. So, I'm down. Anything from that park, if you bring it here, I'm okay with it. Uh, my number four is an example of the bigger picture that I want to see at Walt Disney World, and that is Mystic Manor. Mm-hmm. And the bigger picture being original attractions and original storylines and original characters being brought to the park. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea of Mystic Manor. I love the little monkey. I forget his name. Albert. Thank you. And 
I like that idea that he has become a little bit of a mascot in and of his own right, in the same way that a figment is, where <laughs> and Albert has made his appearance on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea that you know that that you have to have been to the park and experienced the attraction in order to fully understand who this person is. Uh, in the same way that Figment sort of is to Epcot. Like people see Figment and they're like, who is that? What movie is he from? Well, he's not from a movie. He's from an attraction. And uh, unfortunately, we've lost that in this day and age of IPs and what's going to appeal to the general public. Yeah, Mystic Manor, absolutely near the top of my bucket list of things to ride and mostly because of that monkey but also it just looks fun i feel like people feel the same way about sinbad mm-hmm. uh where is that is that tokyo as well yeah it's tokyo disney sea it's in their um uh arabian coast i believe is the land uh it's a it's a great great ride it has a song by alan menken in it um really advanced animatronics um I'm not quite sure where it would go in in uh, Walt Disney World, but it's it's a great ride and has that that a couple of original characters, including Chandu the tiger that wears a little red turban. That's it, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what you're getting at, Jeremy. Is like you don't have to do IPs all the time because exactly. even original characters instantly become loved by the guests. Exactly, and and again, it's not going to appeal to. You know, a Midwestern family that's never been to Walt Disney World and they're saving their life savings. I get they want to come and meet Mickey and Minnie and they want to see stuff they're familiar with. But they can also fall in love with characters. And they're not going to not ride a ride because they don't know who it is. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I just don't feel like that's going to happen. And also you can find some bad at Universal's Islands of Adventure, Derek. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, a a different Sinbad. Or maybe fortunately. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. It depends on which one you're a fan of, I guess. But, and neither of them are the Sinbad star of what is it? House arrest? No, what? House guest. First kid. First kid. First kid and house guest. Yes. Yeah. Of course. You know what's funny about him? You know, he kind of disappeared, and then he makes appearances every now and then. He beat Ellen DeGeneres when they both were starting to come up in like a San Francisco comedy. Uh, contest. She mm-hmm. talks about how she lost to Sinbad. And then you look at it now, how many 30 years later, you're like, well, clearly she ended up on the better end of the deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his his comedy is very much a product of its time. <laughs> yeah. That being said, he is going to be in a new show on Fox this fall. Check it out. Wow. Do you work for Fox? <laughs> no, unfortunately. No, I saw the <laughs> other day and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Sinbad. Wow. I did not know that. I believe it's the reboot to Hang With Mr. Cooper, and he's playing Mr. Cooper. <laughs> wow. No, thank you. They are bringing back TGIF, though. Really? They I mean, are, yeah, with, like, uh, Fresh Off the Boat and some I don't remember. And more importantly, the same song. The song is coming back. Wow. Throwback. All right. Number four on my list, Holiday Overlays. Now, I know Disney's official stance on this. The reason Walt Disney World does not do holiday overlays is that when people worldwide plan their once-in-a-lifetime Disney vacation, they almost always go to Walt Disney World in Orlando. Because when you think of a big Disney vacation, that's what most families think of. And if they're only going to go once, they want to ride the original Haunted Mansion. They want to ride Space Mountain in all of its glory. But... Having said that, 
I personally, because these are our lists, not what we want, well, not what the world wants, what we want, I would love to see just a few more holiday overlays to where when I go down during a certain time of year, I know that there's one or two attractions that are going to be a little bit special because they're different from what I'm used to. It doesn't have to be a carbon copy of Ghost Galaxy, which is the Halloween overlay of Space Mountain in Disneyland. It doesn't necessarily have to be Honda Mansion Holiday, but just a few holiday attracts or holiday overlays. I think that It's a Small World probably probably works better in Disneyland because they're able to light up that gorgeous facade which we've already talked about, which is just like stunning in photos, and we don't have that. But still, something besides Jingle Cruise, please. <laughs> this is a cop-out answer too, because you cannot tell me that there are mass amount of people that are complaining because they don't get to ride the original Jungle Cruise and they have to ride Jingle Cruise. <laughs> I mean, come on. If they put an overlay on Haunted Mansion, let's go Haunted Mansion because that's what they do out in Disneyland. No one's, if anyone, it's a very slim, slim margin that's going to be marching to guest services to say, I wanted to ride the original Haunted Mansion. I saved up my whole life to ride the Haunted Mansion. I don't want to see Jack Skellington. Come on, that's ridiculous. I yeah. tend to agree. And they, I mean, Christmas vomits all over Walt Disney World starting November 1st. I mean, every inch of every resort. So uh, part of me just thinks like you, you expect that when you come. You know, you expect Christmas things, even if it's an over overlay or two. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to see the original Grand Floridian in her lobby. I didn't want to see the Christmas tree <laughs> lobby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like, unlike Jingle Cruise, you know, all I, I've been on the Haunted Mansion Holiday in Tokyo and in California, and those are no joke. I mean, those they're not sparing any expense, not to quote John Hammond. Um, but, you know, <laughs> those are really well done overlays um, that, you know, you really, if you weren't a Haunted Mansion fan, and maybe this is the reason why they don't do it in Florida, you would have no idea that that was the same attraction. Like, they really go all out in really transforming that and the fact that they do it for two or three months every year out in California and then and then, you know, reset on January 5th or whenever it is. Um, it's just it's amazing uh, that they're able to do so much to that ride to transform it. So uh, I, I don't think, you know, unlike Jingle Cruise, where it looks like they spent about $15 on it. Um, Haunted Mansion Holiday is just so well done. Mm -hmm. And another one that honestly, this is an attraction that I think could use it the most because it would get people in there. Country Bear Jamboree used to have a Christmas show. I think in Tokyo they still have it. It's called Jingle Bell Jamboree. I mean, come on. That's so easy, you guys. Just bring it back. Just switch the track. That's probably all it is. You know, put in the other cassette tape. And I'm sure the rest of it is all the same. But at least we have Jack-Jack's Diaper Dash, you guys. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness And the Christmas tree trail. That's enough Christmas. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, so I think it's back to me. Uh, so my third one, uh, even though I was uh, not very kind to this park earlier, uh, and I, I don't think it's 100% the best executed um, out there, but if they were to, as I originally had hoped, instead of doing a Toy Story Land and Hollywood Studios doing a Pixar Land um, and bring over Crush's Coaster from Disneyland – or. Walt Disney Studios Paris. Um, it's a really great indoor coaster, um, and it has like a really unique ride vehicle where you're sitting in the turtle shell, and the ride vehicle itself kind of um, rotates independently. Um, so depending on, you know, as you're going around a 
uh, curve on the track, your your shell is like rotating this way or that way, and it's supposed to mimic uh, going on the what is it the Australia East Australian Current, the EAC, EAC, and it, it just it's really well. I mean, it could be done a little bit better than the way they do it in Paris, but um, I'm surprised given how it seems like it could be a really relatively inexpensive ride to put in Florida. The fact that they haven't put it in in Florida yet is surprising to me because i think you could you know even put it maybe behind the seas or something like that in epcot um but yeah it's a cute little roller coaster um that has it just it, it's a it's a fun little ride um and again a lot of my examples are cheap things but um things <laughs> that i think that you could implement in florida without having to spend too much money okay you know what that's fun i don't think matt got to ride that when he went was that i think that may have been one of the few he didn't ride so we didn't get to hear his review of it but it looks fun to me. The loading takes a long time because there's only four people per car. Um, and each car goes off by itself. Um, so it takes a long time. I was in single rider for like 40 minutes last time I was there. Gotcha. Wow. Uh, my number three, I would like to see more innovative food options from the other parks. Specifically, I'm thinking of Japan. It seems like a lot of stuff coming from Japan on the, on our list. But I see like what – Jeff, you can help me out with this. Mm-hmm. I know what you're going to say. Those little, little aliens. Alien bites. <laughs> oh, yeah. The little, was it mochi? The mochi ice cream? What do they taste like? Uh, well, so if you go to like Trader Joe's or any place like that, you get like the little mochi and it's it's really like a hard packed ice cream in the center and there's this like gummy exterior and the gummy exterior is what they print uh, like the aliens faces on. Or they also have like a scrump one from Lilo and Stitch um, and they're really good. I would definitely recommend them. Um, yeah, and like you know, I I can't imagine it would be that hard for them to introduce something like that in uh, in Florida. Yeah, I'm poor. Do they got something like that at all these? That's where I. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also like the the tiger tail that they have over in Japan. Um, you know, I just feel like here in Florida, all we ever get is cupcakes, and I'm kind of <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of cupcakes. I'm cupcaked out. So you know, a little bit more creativity. Mm-hmm. And and again, as Jeff mentioned, I don't think it's that hard to bring something like that and let it catch on here. Yeah. One of my favorite things in Tokyo is actually uh, different areas of the park. They had different flavors of popcorn. Um, and one of the, the attractions I'll mention in a little bit outside of it is a honey flavored popcorn. And it is by far like the best popcorn I've ever had in my entire life. And I kept going back there several times throughout the day to get the honey popcorn because it was so good. And it was actually kind of a challenge because you could go get like the curry popcorn and the, the you know, cheddar cheese popcorn. And, you know, they had a whole and black pepper popcorn. They had a whole wide range of flavors that you can only get in one area of the park. So you kind of had to go all the way around the park in order to to collect them all. Don't uh, get me started on flavored popcorns, though, <laughs> because I, you know, Cars Land, they were advertising flavored popcorns and the flavor would change i i was under the assumption it was changing daily mm-hmm. but apparently it was changing weekly but the times we were there it was always the same flavor i never got to try the dill pickle popcorn which is what i've been wanting to try all these years later still have never tried it <laughs> i wonder too if it's like a challenge with florida being uh not as much of a locals park as like tokyo and california are you know because the locals go all the time and they expect new things to keep them interested whereas you know florida you have families going like for a whole week once every couple of years or maybe once ever um and they want that quintessential experience you know so disney doesn't need to change up stuff all the time in florida because they don't have to could be but this was this was dca 
that I was looking for these flavored popcorns. And I was wildly disappointed because all I got was butter and cheese. Yeah, no, it is shocking to me how different Disneyland and Walt Disney World are in that respect. Because you're right, the only thing... I mean, I feel like they've gotten better over the last couple of years, but really the only thing they ever introduce are cupcakes. Whereas just this weekend, Halloween time officially kicked off at Disneyland, and I was seeing posts a mile long about the 50 new snacks that are available just for the next two months at yeah. Disneyland that are brand new this year. And I just, I couldn't believe it because Walt Disney World does nothing like that. It's like, we brought back the pumpkin spice waffle. We brought back the candy corn ice cream. Uh, my number three, again, it's probably something they're not going to do, but I love this about some of the other parks, and that is the fact that there is a hotel that is connected to one park. And I have three specifically that I know of. There might be more, but I know the Disneyland Hotel in Paris is, as far as I know, the entrance to the park. So like when you, you don't see the castle when you're standing far away, you see the hotel and the castle and the park are on the other side of it. And it's a gorgeous hotel. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And then so I assume rooms on the back side have a view into the park. Yeah. Okay. The other one I'm thinking of is the Hotel Miracosta, Miracosta something, in Disney Sea, where when you look at it from the park, it just kind of looks like it fits the theme so well. That it almost looks like just a fake facade in that park. But it actually is a hotel. And people, once again, have a view into the park. Yeah. And the third one I'm thinking of is the newest resort in California, which is the Grand Californian. And, you know, has direct access into Disney California Adventure. And those backside rooms have a view into the park. And I just think it's like a, a little touch that adds kind of a... So adds something special for the guests, sure. But it also just adds like... It adds something. I don't know what it is, but adds something to that park that makes it feel more lived in and not so separate. Well, and especially if you're staying there, there's something exciting about waking up in the morning and just kind of walking out the front door and all of a sudden you're in a Disney park. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, we, we kind of experienced that a little bit, even just staying across the street from the park. I mean, it was, yeah. it was exciting out of Disneyland, whereas in Florida, again, you're going to be getting on a bus or getting in a car or a monorail to get all the way over there. I mean, even if you're staying on the monorail loop, you're still, like I said, getting on a monorail, some sort of transportation. You can't just walk. So there is an intimacy, I think, there. Yeah, I like what they did with Animal Kingdom Lodge, where it would feel weird if it were connected to the park. Like, I think that would be a little jarring. So what they did was they sort of brought the park to the resort in a way by adding animals, but it's still just not the same as it it being right there. Yeah, what if there was like a, what if there was one of those like rope bridges and you could walk to the park across on the rope bridge? That would be awesome. It's like a mile and a half long. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I see somewhere and I don't, this may be just in the complete rumor stages, but that there, I guess, were surveys or something that maybe were were sent out or there's a rumor that exists out there that they're talking about adding. uh, Well, obviously there's a Star Wars hotel that's coming to, to Hollywood Studios. But also the possibility of there being some sort of hotel in the front, in, you know, near Future World in Epcot. Um, I'm not sure exactly where that would be placed, but, you know, and I don't know what the design would look like, if it would look anything like the Disneyland Hotel in Paris. But I guess there is, especially as we think about, like, these more immersive experiences that people want, um, I assume that that's something that they're going to be entertaining a little bit more in Florida and charging a, a pretty penny for 
Yeah, that rumor is actually gaining steam, which surprises me, but I'm all for it. Like, if the monorail station at Epcot was now part of a resort, you know, just go from that resort to the TTC. You could get rid of those Leave a Legacy plaques out front. Like, there really is... That's actually great potential, a great potential spot for a hotel. Yeah. And not a lot of people know this, but Peter Quill actually slept out front of Epcot <laughs> when he visited. No, and if you're going to do it at any park, that's the best park to do it because you have that alternative entrance in the back that would become probably your main entrance during construction because that would be a nightmare trying to get through. Yeah, true. All right, so I was originally going to say uh, the basically the copy of the Indiana Jones uh, ride that's both in California and Tokyo, which is, I think in Tokyo it's called Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Crystal Skull. Um, great ride, has the same, as many of your listeners know, has the same uh, kind of ride vehicle system as Dinosaur does. Um, and I love Indiana Jones, uh, and I think that that ride is awesome. And not to say that the stage show, uh, the Sun Spectacular, isn't great, but I feel like Indiana Jones is just... It, it has a lot of potential to be uh, to to have a lot of uh, really cool um, uh, attractions based on it in the parks, and the fact that you only get the the one thing in Florida is a little disappointing to me. But that being said, I think I my second one is actually going to be, or my number two is actually going to be Discoveryland in Paris. Uh, now, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but Tomorrowland uh, has always had that problem of your just going to catch up to tomorrow eventually. So anything that you construct is just going to look dated in five or 10 or 15 years or whatever. Um, but the discovery land in Paris is really cool because it's based on Jules Verne novels. So it has this steampunk vibe. Um, it, it has a lot of, you know, uh, blues and, and coppers and reds and things like that. The, the, the color scheme really works well together. Um, and, uh, I would hate to lose the John Hench design of Spaceship Earth, or not Spaceship Earth, Space Mountain, um, but uh, but the the design of Space um, gosh Space Mountain in Paris is just it's really well done, and they have um, this obviously would require a lot of construction, but they have one of those um, like quick launches um, for the beginning of the roller coaster there, uh, which I think would be really cool if it was implemented in Florida. So Discovery Land, it's a great way to kind of address the Tomorrowland problem um, by making it you know, purposefully, not anything that you're ever going to see in the future. Yeah, listeners, if you've never seen pictures of Discoveryland in Paris, it's definitely worth a look because it technically is our our Tomorrowland. Like, I think that was the idea because they don't have a Tomorrowland, right? Mm -hmm. That is our Tomorrowland. Yeah, it's um, But it's just totally different and totally unique to that park. And I do really like the look of it. Now, if I remember, I wouldn't that what Tomorrowland was supposed to be in the 94... Um, refurb where they were going for that stylized tomorrow that never was but always will be kind of a feel this sounds familiar except i think what you're thinking is the 98 redo in disneyland because they added the rocket rods and then remember we talked about how they painted spaceship earth like bronze for a while oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and then they spent so much money i think on disneyland paris or something to where they had to cut the budget and scrap all that. Yeah, because if I remember right, the, the Tomorrowland of Disneyland in 1955 was way off in the distant future of 1986. Right. Like that <laughs> right. was the future. So, yeah, you're always up against the clock whenever you try to do something futuristic. And not to mention, it, 
it's always almost laughable looking in back at it. It's hard to take it serious. Like I, I enjoy watching uh, old Star Trek uh, episodes every now and then. But you look at this future technology, and it's clearly 1960s interpretation of future technology. And you're like, holy crap! You know, I have more more advanced technology in, in the cell phone that I'm watching this on than what they're supposed to have way in the future, you know, yeah. on a spaceship. Uh, so, you know, you look back on it and it's, uh, it almost becomes uh, cheapened in a way because it's a joke. So yeah, the Jules Verne aspect of it. I love that. I love that sort of steampunk esque um, robotic feel. Yeah. I mean, to be to be honest, on my end, I actually think Disney World has solved that problem because they went more of an intergalactic route as opposed to a futuristic route. But things like Monster Zinc and Buzz Lightyear don't gel with that. Yeah, no, and I do like the intergalactic as well. You're exactly right. Like mm-hmm. the 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 sort of the future that we're fed on the People Mover, I think is is great, and I would love to see that expanded even more. But what else? Uh, my number two is. Uh, Enchanted Tiki Room Stitch presents Aloha y Como Mai. Is that how you say that? Maybe. Close. Really? Well, here's the thing. Um, I love the original Enchanted Tiki Room. Don't get me wrong. But I'm thinking as like a an overlay for certain months of the year. Um, and again, this is like an example of an overall idea that I like. If you're going to do character overlays, do them well. And I think the stitch overlay of the Enchanted Tiki Room out in Japan is done extremely well. Um, I remember when this first sort of happened and people had such a bad taste of Enchanted Tiki Room under new management and also Stitch's Great Escape in their mouth that they, I guess people were picturing a combination of those two and were like vomiting all over themselves trying to think how horrible this is. But when you watch a video of it, it's actually really good and like really well done and fun. And when you remember the fact that Lilo and Stitch is based in Hawaii, so it is a Polynesian-esque, you know, uh, story and it, it kind of flows naturally into it, it. It's a good little show. It's it's how uh, adding a Disney character into an established show is done right. You know, what they should do is just add Hey Hey to the Enchanted Tiki Room and then just have him squawk every once in a while. That is Derek's favorite Disney character. He would love that. I I think that was on episode, what, 203? (laughs) Yeah, no, that sounds like a nightmare. I've never actually seen videos of the Stitch thing. Jeff, did you see it in person? I did. I now I'm trying to remember. I it definitely was very entertaining. Um, but uh, and it wasn't. It didn't seem offensive to me. Like, and I never saw under new management. But I, I take it that that was quite bad. Um, but as a Stitch fan myself, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. You know, we we had the misfortune of seeing under new management before we saw the original version. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have to play it back in my mind from a different perspective. Yeah. And now when I think about how insulting under new management is for, I mean, they openly mock the original show and then not only do they openly mock it, then they present an absolute garbage show in its place that yeah. has, I mean, no one, no one, no one says I need more Gilbert Gottfried in my life. <laughs> no one has ever said that in their whole entire existence. And yet Walt Disney Imagineering thought that was a good idea. You know what yeah. you could do is have the original Tiki Room in Adventureland. 
And then over in the place of Stitch's Great Escape, you could have what Tiki Room looks like on Stitch's planet. <laughs> and put that in there. Boom, Tomorrowland it fits. Or you could just replace the uh, the Aloha show over at Polynesian. Oh yeah, Spirit of Aloha. Yeah, just replace that with the uh, with the Stitch one, and I think that would be fine. I would I would eat some pineapple bread and watch that show. <laughs> they actually have a, a luau um, that I don't know if I have it here with me, but it's called like Leo Lilo's Luau and Fun in Tokyo uh, that they have. I think it's for lunch and dinner, and we saw it, and it was it was fun, and they they incorporated the characters um, into the show, but a lot of it was like people doing hula dances and you know drums and things like that, and then the characters you know come around after their performance and do photo ops with everybody. So, um, yeah, you can do something like that, too, for the spirit of Aloha. Hmm. You know, you forget how how popular Lilo and Stitch is until you really start to think about it. (laughs) Right. I was just thinking, as you were talking about that, it made me think of Mickey and the Magical Map, where a whole segment is Stitch. And when he comes out, the audience roars, and they play Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride, which is legit a great song. But in Walt Disney World, it's almost like they're scared to use him after the Stitch's Great Escape disaster. But, you know, in Lilo and Stitch has that way of, like, Peter Pan, where they can fit into two different genres. You can put it in outer space, because it works in outer space, you put it in Polynesian. Like, yeah. Peter Pan, he works in Adventureland, he works in Fantasyland. Hmm. Um, you know, yeah. he's, he's very versatile. True. Uh, my number two is sort of related to what Jeremy talked about earlier with the snacks, but in this case I'm talking about quick service restaurants. There are a few gyms in Walt Disney World, but overall... Like exercising? (laughs) Yes. Eat in the gymnasium. No, (laughs) there are a few GEMs in Walt Disney World. But overall, I mean, Hollywood Studios, the counter service there is... Garbage. It's so pathetic. A Woody's Lunchbox is finally good food, but it's like a walk-up window. And I'm thinking about when Jeremy and I went to Disneyland and... I, this is so small, but I was just shocked that all the quick service restaurants serve you meals on real plates that yeah. they had to wash. It makes such a difference. And I think that's why Satuli Canteen is almost universally loved. Not just because of the real plates, but because it's good food served on real plates. And it feels like you're eating an actual meal that you're happy to spend money on. Yeah, it's not a refugee camp. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, 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 most of the quick service in Hollywood Studios, you know, back at that Backlot Express, it's just like a burger, chicken nuggets, tofu. Like, it's just so generic. And then when they bring it out on those paper plates that say Walt Disney World, it just feels so cheap. No, it's just Disney Parks, right? It's even cheap. Disney Parks, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's even more generic. Well, what's the name of the Mexican restaurant in Disney that we ate at? Uh, Disneyland? Yes. Rancho del Zocalo, fantastic. I really liked French Market when we ate there. I loved Flo's V8 Cafe. I thought that was a great option. All of these are served on real plates. And when we went, Jeremy, I remember us talking about the fact that the prices were just a few dollars higher than Walt Disney World, but it was worth it because the food was better and more unique. I checked today, almost across the board, the menu prices are pretty comparable to Hmm. Walt Disney World. Like a burger at Backlot Express, I think was $13.99. And then like the the chicken option I got at French Market, also $13.99. Man, I haven't thought about those chocolate mud pies in a while either. And now you got me thinking about those. Are those still around? They they didn't can those, did they? No, they're still there. 
Um, but I also looked at pictures of some in Disney Sea, and there's like a quick service restaurant that's themed to the inside of an active volcano called Volcania. And I'm like, how is this quick service when we get the stuff we get at Walt Disney World? It's like, obviously with Setuli Canteen, you've proved that you can do it. You can wash dishes and have a, a nice quick service restaurant. You know what they say when they bring your food out at that volcano place? Hot plate, hot plate, don't touch hot plate. <laughs> no. <laughs> I actually have a Satuli Canteen story for you. So the first time I went there last year, I was so excited because everybody's talking about these bowls and everything. And I'm there with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and my niece. And they're like, can we get some chicken fingers? And they're like, well, unlike every, pretty much every other restaurant in Disney World where you can get chicken fingers, even if it's not on the menu, they didn't have chicken fingers at Sautuli Canteen. So my, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are like, all right, I guess we're going to leave. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm excited about this unique food here. And like, they're just looking for chicken fingers. You know? Where was this again? That's at Pandora? Yeah. Yeah. And that is why Walt Disney World kind of hesitates to do stuff like this because there are a lot of families who are like that. I get that, but like, come on, one per park. And I'll tell you what comes the closest to this for me is several of the restaurants in World Showcase. And honestly, this might surprise you, but Sunshine Seasons in Epcot, like I've had several really good entrees there. And I, this is stupid, but it brings it down a notch when they scoop it out and they put it on one of those paper plates. Like <laughs> if they put it on a real plate, I think mentally I would think, this is just as good as the Disneyland meals because the food is good. Especially in a pavilion that's all about conservation and you're going to put it on a paper plate. <laughs> that's true. There you go. My paper straw now. <laughs> anyway, so of, of, of the four I've listed so far, I think this is the one that is most doable. So come on, Disney. Step up your quick service restaurants. You're, you're making strides. Just keep going. Totally. And again, what you're paying in paper plates... Pay the dishwasher in the back, you know? It's not yeah. that hard. Yeah. All right, it's back to me. Yeah, number one. All right, my number one, which should be no surprise, is Who's Honey Hunt from Tokyo Disneyland. Um, it is the... Basically, every other Pooh dark ride around the world is a copy of the version that is down in Florida, which is, I think, the Many Adventures or The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh or something like that, which is a pretty standard dark ride. Um Who's Honey Hunt in Tokyo, I believe, was the first, at least the first Disney attraction to use the, uh, like, the trackless technology to move the uh, ride vehicles around, uh, which you now see replicated in the Ratatouille ride in Paris. And I'm not sure if it's if it's anywhere else in Disney parks. Um, but that ride is, is by far one of the best dark rides I've ever been on. Um, I believe Mystic Manor has the oh, trackless you, rides as well. Yes, that's right. Uh, and it was... I'm, Again, it's one of those things where I, I am excited that they're bringing it, I assume, to, with the new Ratatouille attraction in the France Pavilion. Um, but, again, uh, I think that you could, um, you know, introduce that into Fantasyland, maybe, uh, you know, gut the existing Pooh ride and put this one in there. Um, and uh, I think something that Florida deserves. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of that because my number one is trackless rides in general. I mean, how long ago did that open? Do you know? Probably about 10 years ago. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones I had listed were Pooh's Honey Hunt in Tokyo. Mystic Manor. Aquatopia is the water version in Tokyo. Uh-huh. Ratatouille, like you said. And then Luigi's Rollicking Roadsters 
in Disney California Adventure. And if you're not aware, listeners, like trackless rides, like it's it's basically free motion rides, and they use instead of a track, obviously, they use sensors in the ground. I think some of them use like Wi-Fi and GPS, and it gives the vehicles a freer range of motion, basically. And it's hard to tell what's going to happen next because there's no track in front of you. And I think Mystic Manor and Pooh's Honey Hunt, especially. Uh, because the vehicles, like, you you see other vehicles, but you see them going a different direction than you're going, which is obviously going to be a surprise to you. And I can't believe this technology has been around for so long, and we're finally getting it, and yet it's a carbon copy of a Paris ride. Yeah. I will say, actually, I'm going to correct myself, Who's Honey Hunt opened in September of 2000. Wow. So almost 20 years ago, that technology uh, was introduced in, in the Disney uh in, in disney parks and yeah the fact that we're just getting it now and won't get it probably what till 2020 when is when is uh ratatouille opening yeah you know? I, I don't think they've said yeah but it just it's it's surprising um and what's really great about trackless is that um you know you don't know especially in the scenes regarding like the heffalumps and woozles and stuff like that all the cars like scatter in different directions and they're like derek said there's a lot of uh, a lot more range of motion and movement that you can do in those. Um, when you interact with Tigger for the first time, the car actually bounces up and down uh, with a really great effect. Um, yeah, it, it just it, it is really the future of dark rides, and, and the fact that it hasn't been in Florida yet is really surprising. Now you can give us your take on this, but I've heard several people say that Ratatouille is actually one of the lesser versions of this technology because Mystic Manor, like I said. The cars kind of, like you just said, they kind of scatter Mm -hmm. to different things. Whereas Ratatouille, it's kind of like from one screen to the next as you go through the story. Yeah, and I I think the the issue that I had with the one in Paris is that it's slow. The ride moves very slowly. Uh, And I think if you were to pick up the pace a little bit, people would receive it a little bit better. But yeah, it's it's not a a fast-paced ride at all. Hmm. Well, and if, if the Magic Kingdom's Pooh ride is the original and Honey Hunt is the standard, then the Disneyland version of Pooh is the garbage pail because <laughs> that thing is awful comparatively yeah. to the others. I couldn't believe how bad it was. Yeah, it was it was kind of sad. And the worst part was, you know, our honey pots here, you know, you bounce with Tigger, mm-hmm. you 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 float in the final scene. There's there's different things that it does that match. I think pretty much out there, it was only they bounce, right? The whole time. I think it was the floating. and st- I don't know if you bounce. I think you just wobbled like you were floating. Oh, that's right. You float. You wobble. Yeah. And even when you were on water, it made no yeah. sense. It's like, is this broken? <laughs> like, can we not just go normal? Oh, terrible. And then it's way back in the back where nobody can find it anyways. It's yeah, sad. You turn the corner of Splash Mountain. You're like, what's back there? Oh, poo. Never mind. Let's just turn around. <laughs> Uh, oh, Pooh actually doubles because it's what's back there and the explanation <laughs> that you yell. <laughs> it's Pooh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, anyways, all right. Uh, my number one for this list, and this is just a, a Jeremy thing, I'm sure, but it's the character interactions of Disneyland. You cannot get that at Walt Disney World. At Walt Disney World, you're getting a line, you're getting. Uh, a very structured 30 seconds, you're getting your photo, and you're getting out. Uh, I always heard at Disneyland, you know, you get these, the characters just roam, do their own thing, kind of a thing. If I remember correctly, the first, our first trip, I really didn't see that much. 
Um, and I kind of was calling malarkey on it. But then our second trip, we happened to randomly be in Fantasyland there, right by the Matterhorn, right by Alice. And out of nowhere, there's Frollo, there's the Queen of Hearts, there's Alice, there's all these random characters. And it literally was just, they're right there, you take a picture. No line, nobody really bothering them, nobody freaking out. You know, <laughs> that's the thing about Walt Disney World. It's like, there's a character, we gotta get our picture. Ah! And and so I, I just like that aspect that you can, almost to the point too, that if you you can have a great experience and not have to take a picture. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and it I get I get it. It's because of the guests, like what you just said. They're out of control. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. calm down. Uh, but let me give you two examples of how I think Walt Disney World is actually trying to do better about this. One, the Country Bears, mm, yeah, often pop out in Frontierland, and they encourage you not to like form a line or anything, but they will happily take a picture with you. And they stand out there for a good while doing this. And I think that's great. Another example happened the last time I went. So the Stormtroopers are pretty much... Every time I've been there, the Stormtroopers in Hollywood Studios, which I think are a great addition and sort of add to the feel of that area, never stop to take pictures. Like, it's just their thing. You know, they say smart-alecky things to you. That are funny, but they don't stop for pictures. Well, this last time I went, there were there were there was one standing outside Launch Bay, and he was getting pictures. But it was the weirdest system. I wish Aaron were here to help me remember exactly what happened. But I was like, we gotta get a picture with the stormtrooper because this never happens, and they don't allow it. And the character attendant was telling us, just stay there. He will call you to him, and if he calls you, you can go get a picture. <laughs> he's like the soup Nazi. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he said it in a nice way, but we were like, okay. There were there was one child taking his picture with the stormtroopers and no one else around but the four of us. So we were like, okay, obviously he's going to call us next. So we patiently waited. And then this family comes up, you know, the dad, and he shoves his daughter toward, towards the stormtrooper and the character attendant is like, no, he, he will call you to... Oh, okay. No, he will call you, but they're already taking pictures, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so then they come back, and another family comes up, and the stormtrooper comes to them and calls them, and I'm like, We're, "He's never going to call us," you know. And finally, he did, but it was just the it was just the weirdest. I'm like, "You might as well form a line at this point because the system <laughs> is not working." But at least it happened. And th- and this is just me and my life in general, and I'm trying to kind of pass this on to people. You don't need a picture of everything. And, and I fall victim to it as well. You know, it's like, oh, I got to get a picture of this. And then, you know, you catch yourself and go, no, no, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't need a picture of this. It's okay if if there's a character that comes by and you can interact and have a moment with them and it's not documented on film. If you did, so well, you know, and but don't 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 live your whole vacation through your phone screen. And I think that's what has ruined Walt Disney World character experiences is that the most important part is I got to get a picture. Yeah, I actually think that one of the other things that really only Disney World has tried as far as replicating the kind of experience that Jeremy is is suggesting are, unfortunately, in my mind, the dance parties. Oh. You know, I remember when I was in Hollywood Studios, like Robin Hood, Bolt, like a whole bunch of characters that you wouldn't normally see were just out there dancing. Now, you're not going to get that. Uh, especially with the face character, like give you like, you know, have a have a strong interaction like you, you would in Disneyland. But you are, uh, I guess, having a more uh, 
informal interaction with the, the characters as opposed to like standing in a line and taking a photo and you know that sort of thing um i don't love the dance parties i think they're kind of <laughs> they're, they're kind of like uh in my mind a little bit uh, of a, a cheap way to introduce new entertainment into the parks but they've had them for a long time now so they must be popular I had never thought of that, but you're totally right. It's totally an excuse for them to bring out characters as if they're just interacting with you, but it ensures that they're not going to get mobbed because, hey, we're just having fun. It's a dance party. Like, I remember they had that Christmas dance party a couple years ago, and Sebastian was one (laughs) of the characters. And I was like, what the heck? It made me want to go to a dance party. Yeah. I would take Sebastian over those random polar bears that were at there <laughs> last year. What were those? That's right. In Tomorrowland. That was a mess. Yes. I, I still want an answer about that. Like, like who are, who are these polar bears? Like, yeah. what, what's going on? I do flip through Instagram every once in a while and see the most adorable picture of, like, Alice riding the teacups. You know, and there are other people in the other teacups, so you know it's not like, hey, let's clear out the park and get a good picture. Or sometimes you see Belle on the carousel, you know, and you see these crazy character things happening. Or like Chip and Dale ride the Buena, uh, the red car trolley down Buena Vista Street. And it's, it's like, yeah, well, Disney World never gets stuff like that. Can't have nice things. We don't know how to be, don't know how to handle it. We can't control ourselves. <laughs> Well, that being said, Walt Disney World does have a lot of nice things, and obviously we love it. But these are just things that we think could be incorporated pretty well if Disney ever decided to do it. So, anyway, well, that does it for this week's show. Listeners, if you have anything that we forgot, let us know. You can always find us at Mad Chatters on Instagram and Twitter, and you can send those emails to comments at madchatters.net. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Where can everyone find you? Uh, I am at uh, Jeff, J-E-F-F, Subaru, S-O-U-B-I-R-O-U-S, on Instagram and Twitter. So we can look for the Paddington photo there. Yeah, yep, yep. All right, well, thanks again for joining us. It's been a blast. Uh, Listeners, we'll see you next time. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Derek, Jeff, and Jeremy. Oh, crap. (laughs) Well, we can just say playing the part of Matt is Jeff this time. (laughs) I didn't think about that. You should just just make it really obvious when you're dropping in a guest host. (laughs) I just like stop the recording. Yeah, yeah, stop the recording. Jeff. Yeah, (laughs) that that has to be really monotone, right? Like almost like a or something saying it. (laughs) Uh, yeah I'm not going to do that but that's a great idea